My mom used to play the radio while I fell asleep. Usually she turned it off once I conked out, but uh, sometimes she forget. And there you were. You know, whenever I heard your voice, I knew it was so far past my bedtime. I felt like I was getting away with something. I am the one who convinced Bob to give you one last show. You got bit by a wild animal tonight. Who knows what kind of diseases those things are carrying? You sure you're not seeing anything, Amy? Anything that's not really there? It's just one of those nights. There's never been a night like this one. You're losing it, Amy. Everyone is saying so. It's all you, Amy, I promise. Strange thing, your last day. Anything, really. Everything's the same. So it's not. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. I'm Mike. Joining me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. How are you doing, Venom? Greetings and salutations, bloodsuckers. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, Mike. How you doing? Doing well. Glad to get another episode of Fresh Cuts recorded in 2021. Also joining us, it's Don and Nelly. How are you doing, Don? Yeah, great to finally be here and uh, record something new with you guys. Yeah, it's a lot of All fun. Right. <laughs> and our first official guest of 2021 would be a return to the show by this friend of the podcast champion. It's Lacey Lou of Cut to the Chase and their here podcast and another podcast that is on the way that she'll tell us about. Welcome to back to the show, Lacey. Yeah, I couldn't pass up missing uh, my third year in a row to make a January appearance. So, because <laughs> I did Glass and then last year was The Grudge. So, this marks number three years in a row. It's a tradition. Mm-hmm. If only every month was January, Lacey. Aww. <laughs> well, good to be back, guys. Great to have you. So, this episode, we are discussing a little indie horror movie called Ten Minutes to Midnight. Let's see. Synopsis from IMDb. Bitten by a rabid bat, a late-night radio host terrorizes her co-workers as she slowly transforms into a vampire. Sort of. I think I think that's what was happening, but uh, we'll dissect all that shortly. General thoughts time. Venom, starting with you as always, give me your thoughts on 10 Minutes to Midnight. Hmm. This is a weird movie. I'm, I, after, I've watched it twice already, and I'm still not 100% sure how I feel about it. There's a lot of um, misdirection, and there's a lot of weird flashbacks that aren't, 
necessarily framed as a flashback, so it might take the viewer maybe a minute or two to figure out what exactly is going on. I found myself scratching my head a couple of times throughout this movie. Um, the setup is fine. You know, you've got Caroline Williams as a radio DJ. <clears throat> Sound familiar? Um, so, yeah, she uh, shows up to work. She had uh, been bitten by something. She's not sure what. She said it was some kind of flying animal. And then the hilarity just ensues from there as she starts, you know, having hallucinations and having odd desires and things like that that she's not used to uh like i said there's multiple flashback sequences multiple hallucinations slash dream sequences that it's really up to the viewer if a lot of this stuff actually happened or if it was you know I, i'm not going to say in her head because the very last scene kind of gives away whether all of this actually happened or not but the journey to that final scene is definitely an odd one. Um, for the most part, uh, for the most part, uh, the performances are pretty good. Um, the soundtrack's actually really good. Starts out with some, you know, '80s dark synth wave, very Carpenter style, but then it turns out she's a DJ at a rock radio station, so you you get some kind of generic rock kind of thrown in throughout. So, you know, good score, good performances. Um, it's it's actually not even poorly written. It's actually a pretty decently written movie, decently edited. Like I said, the biggest, my biggest issues with it are going to be just the sheer confusion that a first-time viewer might go through watching it. Um, I also wish there was a little bit more gore. There's a decent amount of gore in this, but uh, most of it occurs in such darkly lit rooms that you can barely see any of it. You can tell that something, someone's being attacked and killed, but you're not really seeing the gist of it uh, because the lighting is so dark. They are in a radio station where they tend to keep the lights down low while they're on the air, blah, blah, blah. Um, so overall, I'm going to say this is an above average vampire movie. Um, I would probably say that it is. I'm sure, you know, we're going to get some differing opinions here and there. Um, you know, you could even look at this as uh, more psychological. You know, uh, most of this maybe could have just happened in, in uh, the character Amy Marlowe's head. Um, but ultimately, I had some fun with it on first watch. The second watch was really more just so that I could understand what every scene was trying to say in the context of each scene so that I could put together my walkthrough for the end. But overall, it's a fairly enjoyable movie. Uh, nothing really to write home about, though it is nice to see Caroline Williams actually playing a good role in the genre again. So that's my general thoughts for now. All right. We will go right over to Don for your general thoughts. Uh, I... I'm pretty much in lockstep with Venom on this one. Um, I enjoy it. I have a lot of fun with it. Uh, I, I do find um, what he's saying about the confusion to this one uh, the biggest factor for it. Um, there's just so much going on where it it tends to be it's it's all in her head or whether it's all actually happening. And the fact that it keeps on, you know, playing with dream logic to the degree it does kind of makes it feel more psychological and much more in her head. But the way that it keeps playing out and it keeps going back and forth to whether it actually happened, make people make, you know, making references to something that was in the dream that actually take place. And it's just really kind of confusing and jarring. And it just, it kind of just 
goes all over the place. And then I'm also not a huge fan of the ending. I don't like the fact that everything seems to wrap itself up by 45 minutes, and then it just keeps on going with... It, it, it feels like it should have just ended at 45 minutes and been an anthology effort, not this... You know, I mean, it's 72 minutes. I mean, you can probably call that full-length feature, but it's like on the shorter end of the the spectrum, if that's the case. So maybe this could have been a case where it would have been edited down and been like an anthology entry or like a feature film or something. But I, I do like the fact that it actually does tackle something far more than just regular vampirism. Um, I like the fact that it t- takes a lot of the workplace sexism and a lot of ageism in uh, industry. I do like the fact that it tackles those and equates them with vampirism in that vampires don't age so she's tending to be you know at the end of it because she's become a vampire she's seen as a lot more attractive and a lot more desirable and that brings out a lot more you know whether or not it actually was a vampire that attacked her and whether it's all in her head or not but at the end of the day it's just far more confusing and far more disjointed than anything uh not enough to discredit it completely but but not necessarily something that's, you know, like must-see, top-of-the-list, year-end potential kind of a thing. So, yeah, I'm pretty much in lockstep with where Venom, where Venom is on this one. All right, Lacey, will you continue the lockstep? Let's hear it. Um, Actually, I kind of, like, I'm somewhat on the same page, but I think I'm um, a little bit different. Um. I disagree. I think that it was very well paced. Um, I didn't find it confusing. Um, I actually think I loved the aspect of, you know, Caroline Williams uh, returning to form. I think this is the best performance she's done in a very, very long time. And I mean, it was kind of a nice little throwback of her in the radio, um, you know, like almost seeing stretch again. Um, I think she looks great in this movie. Um, I think Um, Like I said, this is probably her best performance that I've seen in a long time from her. I mean, she's always great, but it seems like she was just kind of minor role. So it was really cool to see her as a lead Um, again. I also um, really liked the elements of um, the symbol um, symbolism of what was going on throughout the movie. And that's why I don't find it confusing, I guess, maybe because, um, you know, I'm a female. Maybe I related more to it or something. Um, I don't want to pull that card, but I just did. So there. Um, Also, um, there had some really great cringe moments. I felt like, you know, it it is a shorter film, an hour and 12 minutes. So um, I felt like um, everything was just packed in enough for me to find this film enjoyable. And I really did like, you know, the symbolism. I think um, there were a few actors that I could have done without. um, But overall, I, you know, I, I, we need more vampire movies. I've been saying this for, you know, years. And I think it's, even though, you know, maybe at best questionable if people would consider it. I mean, I didn't consider bliss a vampire movie. So as everybody knows, um, so, I mean, I can see, um, this is, this is plain as day a vampire movie to me, but, um, I guess we'll get into that. But, uh, yeah, there's definitely some cringe moments and, um, yeah, I thought the acting was pretty solid for the most part. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Well, I'll say I'm somewhere. In the, I mean, it sounds like we all kind of found it somewhat similarly enjoyable. Um, I I found this movie. This is one of the rare movies where I almost feel like I understood the allegory they were going for more so than some of the events that were actually happening in the movie. Usually it's the other way around where if you're confused with what you're seeing, cause you're trying to figure out what the meaning and message behind everything is. But this one almost had the opposite effect. It, it, there's obvious things like I think Don and Lacey both brought up, uh, especially for women in the entertainment industry when they're getting older and, you know, they're basically being communicated to by management or, whoever is their superiors that, you know, you're, you're used up. We don't need you anymore. And all the years they put in possibly are for nothing as they just kind of get discarded for the next hot thing. That's definitely something going on in this movie. I don't even think it's necessarily even trying to be a metaphor. It's, it's straight up in the dialogue and what we see on the screen. With that said, I, I think there is like a point, what 45 minutes in where they go for something in the movie, and I don't want to say it necessarily doesn't work. It just maybe it was a little confusing. I watched it a second time today, although, I mean, during my second watch, I was working. So, it I you know, I wasn't 100% watching it the second time around. But I just kind of wanted to get, like, another look, at, especially, like, the last, what, 20, 25 minutes, just to see if I picked up on anything I didn't the first time. I'm still kind of trying to piece together what exactly happened when that switch occurred which we'll obviously get into during spoilers which but switch? i still think there was something there with this movie yeah i mean there's i guess you could say yeah there's more than one but um i i still enjoyed it i still like what they were going for and caroline williams was excellent in this everyone should recognize her in the industry and um yeah i i had a good time with it I'm interested to see, you know, what gets brought up during the spoilers once we start actually going over the events of the movie where we can speak more on it. But um, that said, yeah, for like a small, what's I think, 72-minute indie movie, it's uh, I think they succeeded in what they were going for for the most part. So that's for, my general Yeah, thoughts. for the most part. It, it's funny that... Um... Lacey brings up Bliss because a lot of this movie reminds me of Bliss. Um, not well, maybe not a lot. There's there's multiple scenes in it, specifically the bathroom scene, very reminiscent of the scene in Bliss where our heroine in that movie was also going through the transformation, um, and and trying you know blood for the first time, blah blah blah. It just but uh, obviously Bliss just did it way way better uh, from an artistic standpoint. Um, obviously, Joe Bezos' lighting and camera work are going to be a little bit more advanced than uh, old Mr. What, uh, what's his name here? Bloomquist? Eric, Eric, uh, yeah, Eric Bloomquist. Bloomquist, yeah, who hasn't really done anything too big. He's written a couple of things, directed a couple of shorts, but this is probably going to be his highest, um, uh, as far as recognizable film, it's probably going to be this one. Uh, the lighting in a lot of the scenes, um, because they're in a radio station and I have been a DJ myself and I've actually been an overnight DJ too. So I do know that, you know, at a lot of these places, they tend to keep the lights off in the hallways and kind of low in the studio itself to kind of, you know, it, it advance the mood a little bit. So I can understand why everything is so dark in this movie. But a lot of it really does feel like this filmmaker is going for a bliss style film and 
you know, unfortunately, if we're comparing this to Bliss, unfortunately, it's it, it would it would be uh, it would take a hard hit. I'm trying not to compare it to Bliss because Bliss was such a great film. Um, this one's still enjoyable. We've all said it. We all said we had a good time with it. Decent performances. You know, what little gore there is is pretty cool looking. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know. As far as the as far as like the confusion with what was going on in some scenes, Lacey mentioned. Uh, potentially sexuality. I don't, I don't really see that because my confusion wasn't with what was going on with Amy. My confusion is what fucking year it was in certain scenes, um, especially with the very first flashback in the movie, which we'll go in more in depth into in the spoiler section. But in that first flashback, everybody gets younger except her. She's still wearing the same clothes. She still looks the exact same as, as you know, 2020 Carolyn Williams. So it literally took me until she actually called the guy by name that then it's like, oh, okay, this is a fucking flashback because it's like, who the hell is this guy hitting on her? And then finally, when she calls him Rob, it's like, okay, now I get it. It's a flashback. I mean, because they don't make the studio look any different. They don't make Amy look any different. Literally just Rob, uh, the, uh, the program director at the radio station. He's the only one that looks different in that first flashback. So I was kind of scratching my head a little bit there. But um, And then, you know, like I said, there's multiple hallucinations or are they type things because she sees things. Um, this could be another situation of an unreliable narrator because we are watching the entire film play out through Amy Marlowe's eyes. Um, so, it, you know, like I said, it could be an unreliable narrator. It could just be her coming to terms with the change that she's going through and maybe not seeing things as they're actually playing out in front of her. So I'm sure we'll have some things to say about that during the walkthrough. But yeah, overall, enjoyable film. I would give it a mild recommend, uh, especially because it is a different kind of vampire movie. It's not your traditional, you know, bitten by a vampire, go through a violent change start slaughtering people. It's it's slightly different here, especially because, um, you know, our pro our main protagonist doesn't know what she was attacked by. She thinks it was just a random bird. You know, she doesn't even think it was a bat until somebody else kind of points out that it could have been a bat, blah, blah, blah. By the way, did you notice the formation of the puncture wounds mm -hmm. on her neck? Yeah, totally yeah they were fucking horizontal. Somebody want to explain to me how she gets puncture wounds in a horizontal pattern? It's it's an impossibility. Uh, the jaw doesn't work like that. Whether it's a human, a bat, a dog, it doesn't matter. They have to turn their head to bite your jugular. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, they well, should have the cool blood splurting out of it when she yeah. first showed up. Well, that part of it. Was no, great. Yeah, but no, I'm. But I'm saying what Venom is talking about is the placement of where they are on the neck. In order to bite that mark, there should also be marks on her sh shoulder from where the mouth actually touches her. Yeah. Well, maybe it was a different kind of bat. Bites, huh? Well, traditionally, vampire bites are vertical. They're usually two puncture holes, and they're vertical on top of each other. Because when a vampire goes in for a bite, they have to turn their head, which straightens out their canines. Whereas her wounds were side to side. They were next to each other. How does something open its mouth big enough to only leave two canine puncture marks, but not, like Don was saying, not other teeth marks. It's a minor nitpick, folks. I'm not taking anything away from the movie because of it. I'm just throwing it out there that the first time I saw it, it kind of threw me. I'm like, what the fuck? Nothing could leave bite marks like that. But whatever. Again, it's fiction. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, Mike, anything else before we move into spoilers? No, I would just say that, like, I don't know if this, if, if people are seeing a trend and they're copying it, not copying it so much, but going with kind of this trend where we're starting to see more like movies that are in that like kind of 70 to 80 minute mark. And I got to say, it's not really a bad idea if that's what your story fits. And I think not this is one the new wrong turn. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. That could be like two of these put together. I cannot but... believe that movie is two hours and four minutes long. <laughs> That that's a severe wrong turn. Like they took a wrong turn and they kept going for a while before they before they hit the destination. But I mean, you know, if you're a small indie production and the and the movie you're making has the story that you only think fills out this amount of time, I, I mean, my recommendation after seeing some of these are don't worry about making a shorter length film instead of trying to like stretch it out with just a bunch of filler because. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think this this movie with the story they had is about to hit the max running time it needed to. It gets its point across quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm very okay with the shorter runtime as well. I mean, if you if you can tell me a story in 70 minutes that's satisfying, awesome, I'm down. Um, I can't really think of anything that could have been added to this movie. Maybe they could have added the attack because we don't actually see the bat attack. Um, Maybe they could have, you know, slowed down her transformation a little bit, blah, blah, blah. Um, but ultimately, I'm not really complaining about the length at all. I'm very okay with the 72-minute runtime. Um, you know, obviously, I wish the movie was ever so slightly better. Because uh, I mean, the, the movie's above average to me as it is. Like I said, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying I disliked it. It's above average. But it just feels like with the shorter running time that they should have been able to maybe pack in a little bit more action, a little bit more gore, a little bit more blood. I'm not sure what kind of budget these people were looking at. So obviously I don't really want to say that, oh, they failed in any way. But yeah, it's definitely one of those movies that leaves a little bit to be desired. But for what they gave us, it's it's enjoyable. It's uh, now, definitely worth watching. Now, how did this movie come on your guys' radar? Uh, Mike and I are usually just always on the lookout for 2021 movies. Pretty much any <laughs> horror that gets released, we'll at least look it up and see if it's worth talking about. Uh, I follow Caroline on Instagram, and she was promoting this when it was in the festivals. Oh, that's right. I do, too. And I think I remember her mentioning it, but I can't be yeah. 100% sure. Yeah, I, I saw it maybe around Thanksgiving, like when it was coming out. Mm-hmm. That's when, At least that's when I first remember like it on her feed so yeah yeah i yeah, heard yeah. about it because you guys were covering it so i was like well <laughs> it's got caroline williams in it so i'll check it out um i was like when you guys put 10 minutes to midnight for some reason i was confusing it with the charles bronson movie but 10 to midnight yes yeah. <laughs> i was yeah, like the first time i saw the title that's what i thought too well like we were I, saying before the before mike showed up i was getting it confused with the iron man Aiden song, so. <laughs> they made two minutes to midnight into a feature-length movie? Sweet. <laughs> yeah, I That think was always it, one of my favorite Iron Maiden videos. The video for two minutes to midnight was great. <laughs> I, I think it came across my radar about the same time that Psycho Goreman hit, but since Benham was doing that for another show, I was like, all right, what else is kind of around? And this was there, so I was like, all right, let's... Uh, 
Got mm-hmm. to tackle it. Right on. But uh, with, with that said, if we're done with general thoughts, yeah, we can move right along to the spoiler section. Let's cool. do it. All right, so 10 minutes to midnight. Uh, our movie opens up with a black screen, uh, nothing visible on screen, but we do hear the audio of a woman getting out of a car. We hear her gasp, and then we hear the sound of bat wings flying away. <laughs> Very distinct bat wing sound. They, uh, when, wing, when bats flap their wings, it does not sound like a bird because they don't have feathers. They have skin. It's actual. It's a membrane, so it definitely has a different sound effect. So we hear that. Then the opening credits start, and during the opening credits, we hear a weather report on the radio station talking about an impending storm that's coming to an air, to the area. They're thinking it might be a Category 3 storm, blah, blah, blah. They're telling everyone to stay inside and everything else. Uh, so then our opening credits end, and we get our title card. And right after the title card, uh, we see Caroline Williams playing Amy Marlowe. She comes into the radio station. She's obviously late because she's in a little bit of a huff. And um, the security car, uh, the security guard, Artie, kind of gives her a little shit for being late, blah, blah, blah. Um, Artie notices that she has a wound on her neck. And, you know, that's when Amy kind of relays the story to her that she was bitten by some kind of flying animal as she was getting out of her car to come to the radio station. Artie, man, he is a quirky motherfucker, this guy. Um, He starts joking with her about, uh, you know, was it a raccoon? You know, and she's like, no, it was was definitely flying. How the hell is a raccoon going to bite a human being on the neck unless they're lying in bed? But whatever. Um, You know, uh, and then Artie starts joking that, well, if it was a bat, you know, you could get you could have rabies. And then he starts telling her he starts listing all the symptoms of rabies like, you know, um confusion hallucinations um dry mouth blah 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 and you know it seems like he's joking but at the same time it almost seems like he's being serious like this is where i was having trouble figuring out the tone of the film i wasn't sure if they were going for laughs here or if they were going for parody because it was almost so over the top i started to think it was parody but then as the the movie kind of went along, I just I guess it was just established that Artie is just a quirky guy. He's just a mm. weird fellow who, you know, speaks very openly with people about whatever, and sometimes inappropriately, but you know, this whole theme of him thinking Amy Marlowe has rabies kind of goes throughout the movie. There'll be multiple conversations uh with Artie kind of asking her how you feeling? How you doing? You feeling lightheaded? blah blah blah. So So we get that little interaction first. Um, The security guard already lets Amy know that uh, Rob, the program director, wants to speak to her before she goes on the air. As she walks into Rob's office, uh, she sees Rob drinking a glass of wine with a young girl sitting on his desk. We find out this young girl is named Sienna. She is a recent college graduate uh, looking for a job in radio. Rob lets Amy know that Sienna is going to be shadowing her tonight. Instantly, Amy realizes what's going on, that, uh, you know, she's being replaced with a younger, prettier girl. Why that matters for radio is beyond me. But um, Amy, based on her experience 30 years ago with Rob, which we'll get into in a little bit, she assumes that Rob and Sienna are fucking and that that's how Sienna got the job. She's sleeping with Bob, and now he's going to replace Amy with Sienna. 
we find out that's not true a little bit later on, but uh, we're a little ahead of ourselves there. Um, right before Amy goes on the air, Aaron, the engineer, chats with her a little bit, you know, uh, you know, just chit chat, talking about Aaron's multiple girls that he dates and, you know, what he could have been doing that was more interesting tonight than working here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we find out that Aaron, who is a younger guy, by the way, probably early 20s, uh, lets us, uh, we find out that he's been a fan of Amy Marlowe as far as her, her radio DJ work um, for over 15 years since he was a kid. Uh, he talks about how, uh, as a kid, he called her um, on one of the call-in nights, and uh, I forget what the subject matter was, change, I believe, or life change, something like that, which... Um, Aaron, as a child, didn't really have a lot to add to the conversation. He was just so excited that he finally got through that he wanted to talk to his hero, D uh, DJ. Um, but then Amy, you know, says the politically correct thing and basically says, no, even as a child, you probably know a lot about change. In fact, you might know more than some adults, you know, because a, a, a child's life is constantly changing. Even if, even if they're not like moving from city to city or school to school, you know, there's constant change in a child's life. You know, today I like He-Man, tomorrow I'll like Transformers, blah, blah, blah. So, so Amy did have a valid point there that children do know about change and they can add to that conversation. So, um... After Amy um, finally shows up to the studio and they're like 30 seconds away from going on the air, Amy basically just has a tirade on Sienna, goes off on her, accusing her of sleeping with Bob. Sienna basically lets her know, uh, no, I'm not sleeping with Bob. I'm not as bad as you. I didn't actually have to sleep with him to get this job. I just had to let him think I was going to. Um, so obviously already Sienna kind of shows her true colors. She's a total bitch talking down to Amy and obviously she knows that she's going to be replacing Amy. So she's got the, you know, the smug look on her face throughout. Uh, once they actually do go on the air, Amy decides to take uh, some calls, uh, which I guess they haven't done in a while, you know, where listeners can call in ask questions, uh, you know, get advice, blah, blah, blah. But the problem is, is that once the callers start calling in, Amy is very short with them, very rude with them. Uh, when the very first guy calls in, she doesn't even, uh, he starts talking about having trouble with women. And Amy instantly says that it's got to be all him, that he must be the problem, which is very un-Amy-like. Um, and then they, and then she just hangs up on him abruptly. They go to another call where someone else wants to talk about a problem. And once again, Amy changes the subject to the fact that, you know, she's been at this station for 30 years and now out of nowhere, she's being replaced. You know, she gave more than half her life to this station. And now we've got this, you know, cute little bitch who's going to take my job. She's doing all this on the air with callers on the phone Aaron is on the mic, the studio mic, trying to get her to calm down, but she just has no interest in calming down. Finally, after the third phone call, <laughs> uh, they finally go ahead and play a song. So she basically thinks that she's about to get fired. So she basically says uh, goodbye to everyone and, you know, assuming that she's literally going to be fired that minute as soon as uh, they go off air. And then literally as soon as they go off the air, Rob, the, pro the program director, just comes charging into the studio asking her, what the fuck is that? Um, Amy replies with, what the fuck is she? Pointing at Sienna. It just turns in into a big expletive-filled shouting match where, you know, Amy's calling Sienna a cunt. Uh, you know, 
Sienna is trying to be diplomatic. Now that Rob is in the room, she's not the smug little bitch anymore. So she's trying to be diplomatic and defending herself. Basically, it just ends up go, uh, getting into this big, you know, clusterfuck of people yelling at each other. Finally, Sienna tries to reach over to Amy to try to say, you know, try to calm her down, blah, blah, blah. And Amy actually bites Sienna on the hand. Um, very James Spader in Wolf, if you remember, when uh, Jack Nicholson bit James Spader on the hand in Wolf and transformed him. But this is a vampire movie, so back to it. Um, after biting Sienna, you know, Rob splits everybody up. Amy goes to the bathroom, and this is where the where we start to kind of get an idea of what's actually going on, assuming you didn't read the synopsis at a time or watch the trailer. But um, uh, basically, Amy is in the bathroom. This is the scene that I thought was very reminiscent of uh, Bliss, of that bathroom scene in Bliss, because she's in there, the lights are flashing, you know, there's a lot of jump cuts, her wiping her face down. Um, you know, finally... She looks in the bathroom garbage can and finds a used tampon. Yes, a very bloody used tampon. And she does exactly what she thinks she's going to do with it. She pulls it out and she just puts it in her mouth and starts sucking all the liquid out of it. Um, after, you know, a few seconds of sucking on the tampon, she kind of has a realization of what the fuck am I doing? She throws the tampon back in the garbage. She goes to the mirror, tries to fix her face, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then when she comes uh, out, imagine oh, being zoned, imagine being zoned out like that, and then like you come to and you like realize what you just did, like exactly. that, and you're like, what? I remember when I watched it, or the first time I watched it, I must like looked away from the TV for a second when she first grabbed it, and when I looked back, it was already in her in her mouth, and I was like, what the hell? And when she pulled it, I was like, oh no, that's not what I think it is. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, one of them, definitely. And it <laughs> happens so early into the process. I mean, I understand it's a shorter running yeah. time, so they, they have to get to things, but, man, they really, like, put the point across with that. Yeah, exactly. All right, so after this little episode, uh, Amy exits the bathroom, and as she exits the bathroom, she hears Rob call her down the hall and say, come into my office. Uh, they go into the office, and Rob basically admonishes her for the attack, for everything that she was saying on the air. And then she asks her, what do you think I should do? What is my course of action? And she goes, oh, probably fire me. And he said, yeah, you're, you're probably right. And most days I probably would. But apparently because of the storm that's happening right now, there are solar flares that are occurring all throughout the city and they're cutting out radio waves. So they're basically in and out of dead air at the station where listeners, you know, outside of the radio station building can't hear them, you know, because of the slow solar flares. So Rob lets her know that, Oh, you're lucky. Most of your tirade wasn't heard by anyone because we were in dead air at that moment. She realizes, oh, shit, maybe my job is saved then since no one probably heard that. But, of course, Rob brings up the fact that, well, we still got to deal with the situation. The fact that you bit a coworker on the arm. Um, and obviously, you know, Rob kind of tries to play it off, uh, you know, not realizing how serious the bite was, blah, blah, blah. So he blows it off. He lets her know, OK, go ahead and finish your shift tonight. You know, once the once the you know, the 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 music 
uh, that's playing right now is done. Go back, finish what you got to do, and then we'll address this, whatever, uh, next uh, tomorrow or next week. I forget exactly what he says, but we'll address it later on. She, of course, is thankful. So, uh, you know, she kind of, as she's, um, but the problem is, is that as she's in the office talking to Rob, she has what appears to be her first hallucination. Basically, as Rob is talking to her, talking about what he wants to decide to do with her moving forward, Sienna walks into the room. Um, but Rob doesn't even react. He doesn't even acknowledge her. And, but Amy notices, obviously, right away. Sienna walks right up to Rob, gets on her knees, pulls his pants down, and we don't actually see anything, thankfully, but we start hearing the uh, fellatio sound effects, so brilliantly done uh, by the sound designer here. Uh, and literally, Rob isn't reacting, like almost like you know nobody's even there. So obviously, this is uh, Amy kind of hallucinating that, you know, what Sienna had to do to get this job away from her, whether that actually happened or not, that's uh, up to your interpretation. So um, after Rob is done talking to her, uh, she leaves and she goes to the uh, radio station kitchen and she overhears Sienna and Aaron uh, talking. Um, Aaron is helping Sienna dress, clean and dress her wound. And then they just start talking about how, um, or uh, should I say, Sienna starts talking about how she's not surprised that this is happening. She obviously can see that her end is coming and that she almost expected something like this to happen. They start talking about the seven stages of grief. And just as they're talking about the seven stages of grief, Amy, or should I say, Aaron turns his head and realizes that Amy was standing there the whole time. Maybe not the whole time, but for part of it. So she obviously heard that they were talking about it. Amy leaves the room and uh, runs into Artie, who once again has another diatribe with her about rabies, <laughs> going over all the different rabies uh, symptoms once again, asking her, you know, is any of this ha happening to you? And he literally lists like 12 to 18 fucking different symptoms of rabies, asking her, hey, is everything all right? Blah, blah, blah. Now, I haven't mentioned this, but throughout the film, we see Artie whittling a piece of wood. We see him doing it the very first time we see him at the beginning of the movie. We see him carrying this piece of wood around with him as he's, like, patrolling the radio station. And, you know, it obviously looks like a steak, but it doesn't really make sense that Artie is whittling a steak, not knowing that anything was going to happen. This is what I mean about Artie. Artie is... He is the biggest question mark in this movie. I have no fucking idea what's going on with this guy. For a second, I thought he was a vampire and, and that he was just playing it off like he knew what was happening to Amy, but didn't want to tell her directly. But then, you know, See, I thought he was gonna be like well, we'll get to that. <laughs> but yeah, so like I said, Artie is definitely a weird guy. And like I said, he's been whittling a piece of wood. It looks like a hatchet handle that he's just whittling to a point for no real reason. Now, at this point, we get our first flashback. Amy has a flashback to her first day at the radio station. Now, what I was mentioning earlier about not realizing that it was a flashback, because like I said, there's no dissolve, there's no 
Um, there's nothing changed in the room to make it look like it's 30 years earlier. And like I said, Amy is exactly the same Amy we've been seeing the whole movie. Dressed the exact same, the wound on her neck, hair messed up, just literally the same. But then suddenly this younger guy with a radio station shirt on starts hitting on her, talking about how, oh, you're going to do great, blah, blah, blah. But then finally she says his name, Rob. That's, like I said earlier, I realized that that was a flashback. That's a young Rob. Um, he barely looked like him. I don't know. You know, They obviously didn't de-age the actor. They just got a younger, different-looking actor to play young Rob. And like I said, it wasn't until she said his name that I understood it was a flashback. So we basically see all the shit that Amy was talking about earlier when she was talking about, you know, when I was Sienna's age, I know what I did and what I had to do to get this job and what you did to me. And now we're actually seeing it play out. Rob is obviously kind of sweet talking her. Um, apparently it's the day after they actually had sex. Cause they talk about last night and Amy talks about it being a mistake, but Rob talks about it being a tease. Like he's looking for more, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, just an overall really uncomfortable scene to watch. Uh, just, you know, having, having to watch this guy just take advantage of this young girl. Young girl in quotations because I'm still looking at 50-plus-year-old Caroline Williams. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, like I said, we, we finally see what kind of true scumbag Rob is. Um, so, let's see. So, at the end of the flashback... And this is where stuff starts getting really, really weird. Like, I, I literally feel like the next 15 to 20 minutes of the movie is all unreliable narrator. And I'll get into it as we're going. So basically, uh, the flashback ends uh, with Rob giving Amy a, a choker with a cross on it. A, you know, a Christian cross, a black choker that goes around her neck. But when, she, when he hands it to her and she puts it in her hand, it actually burns her. And she drops it. And I, I, I guess at that point, at the moment that the cross burned her hand, I guess at that point we're back from the flashback. Because at that moment, she bends down to pick up the cross, and then she sees Rob again. But this time his face is all distorted. It's, it's not the greatest looking CG, but, you know, they, they distorted his face a little bit, so he looks kind of demonic and blah, 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 which freaks her out. She ends up screaming. At the moment that she screams, uh, Aaron actually walks into the studio. And then at this point, Amy and Aaron have a conversation and Amy discovers that Aaron knew about Sienna, that he knew that she was coming in. He, apparently he's known for over a week that she's been coming in like during the day when Amy's not in the, at the station, you know, filling out paperwork, blah, blah, blah. So basically Aaron knew for almost a week that Sienna was going to be her replacement, doesn't say anything. Amy is of course shocked and hurt because she thought Aaron was like her only friend at the station. But Aaron, you know, kind of turns into a little bit of a douchebag where he starts talking about, Hey, I have a future too. I got to think about myself. You know, I'm not worried about you, blah, blah, blah. You know, kind of turning on a dime a little bit. Because for the, you know, for the, the majority of the beginning of the movie, Aaron is, you know, very caring and loving towards Amy, very respectful. But then as soon as, like I said, uh, we get back from this flashback, suddenly Aaron's very standoffish. Um, not really, doesn't seem as concerned. But 
But then they go to the, they once again go to the kitchen at the radio station. Rob starts talking about him being concerned about um, Sienna's injury and that she won't allow him to go into the bathroom to check up on her and that she's hiding her face from him. Um, Amy really doesn't look like she cares all that much, but because she's the only woman at the station besides Sienna, she says, okay, I'll go check on her. She goes into the ladies' room to check on Sienna, and then we see Sienna. And this is literally, what, minutes after she was bitten? And it seems like she's already turning. Um mm-hmm. We, she Be- doesn't beginning look near of confusion first. setting in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, basically, Mild when confusion. he first walks into the bathroom, uh, Sienna looks normal. There's nothing wrong with her face, nothing wrong with her hands. She's just she's talking very cryptically, talking about, oh, you wanted to come in to apologize. That was something else that I forgot to mention, actually, folks. When she was taking the calls uh, from the uh, at the radio station, you know, the three callers that she took, she actually knew what they all were calling about. She actually like told them why they were calling, which kind of starts to show a little bit of premonition, which, of course, a lot of vampires in cinema have had, where they can either read someone's mind or see their future, things like that. And then at this point in the movie, when Amy is trying to apologize to Sienna, Sienna actually stops her and completes her sentence, says, oh, you wanted to apologize to me. So now we see that Sienna is starting to get that little bit of premonition as well. So she's obviously starting to turn. Uh, but then finally, Amy says one last very cryptic thing and then tells Amy to look carefully, look at me closer. And then so finally, Amy takes a closer look and then we see Sienna's face has like all sorts of, you know, damage on it. Um, not like she was attacked necessarily, but like boils maybe in her face had popped and left open wounds, things like that. So um, Amy is very obviously transforming into something. Um, why Amy, or why Sienna is transforming quicker than Amy? I don't know. You could say once again, you could say unreliable narrator, and that's just what she saw, or you know, blah blah blah. Uh, you know, plug in your explanation here. So, um, Aaron and Amy once again end up in the kitchen talking. Aaron tries to get Amy to go to the clinic for her bite because uh, the bite mark on her neck hasn't stopped bleeding pretty much the whole night. It's been bleeding through the bandages and bleeding fairly well when she pulls the bandage off. Amy suddenly makes the realization that she thinks she might be dreaming. She's like, um, at one point in the conversation, Aaron mentions a dream and she's like, that's it. I'm dreaming. This isn't actually happening. It can't be happening. So Aaron and Amy start talking about how they could convince her that this is not a dream, that this is actually happening. And at that exact moment, Aaron actually burns himself on a kettle of hot water that's cooking on the stove. And as soon as he burns himself, he looks at her and says, if this was a fucking dream, would this, this wouldn't hurt so much, goddammit. Um, she's still not convinced that this isn't a dream, so she actually goes to the stove, moves the kettle, and just unceremoniously slams the side of her head right onto the hot stove. Of course, we hear the sizzling sound effects, and she starts screaming, blah, blah, blah. 
No, I can't totally then, fault her for trying that because if she legitimately thought it was a dream, hey, maybe that's a way to wake yourself up. But uh, oh yeah, I don't know that. Unfortunately, I not a dream. Here. I mean, that's what we have hands for. <laughs> but whatever, that's that's her technique. So I mean, maybe um, she just didn't find it believable. I guess if it was someone else's pain, then it could still be a dream because when the coworker did it first, that yeah. maybe would have been a tip off. But maybe she's like, "Well, your pain doesn't matter yeah. in my dream." I guess. Why she decided to stick her whole damn face into it? It's like you could have put a finger on the stove. Yeah, just, just go for it. That it's real. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the entire side of your face. I mean, even if it didn't work and it actually was a dream you just completely mangled your face that's what i mean yeah even if it's a one in a million chance that this has actually happened why take that one in a million chance to to fuck up your face i mean as we as we've all pretty much said she's very attractive for a woman in her 50s there's no reason to do that to yourself but again whatever i don't claim to understand women (laughs) uh let's see here Okay, so after, as she's burning her face, like literally as her face is on the stove and we hear the sizzle, at that point, Rob walks into the kitchen and starts asking our, uh, Aaron what happened. Because Aaron's on the floor sitting down with his hand burnt. And then Amy lifts her head from the stove, no damage whatsoever. Uh, just nothing on her face. And that's when she kind of, and, and even the audience at this point is starting to realize, well, there might be something to this. Like I said, we're either dealing with an unreliable narrator or she really is, literally is just dreaming or something. So who knows? Um, uh, she's dragged back to the studio. And I mean dragged. Like Rob has already come in and grab Amy and literally drag her to, back to the studio so that she can complete her final shift. Um, and she's basically just yelling at Aaron, fuck you, how can you do this to me? I thought you cared about me, blah, blah, blah. And they're literally yelling back and forth at each other, and Aaron suddenly says five seconds. And he starts counting down the five seconds to when she's going to be back on the air. She is literally motherfucking this guy left and right, and then at the exact moment that the countdown is over, welcome to 10 minutes to midnight. I mean, she's such a pro, that's a fucking pro DJ. Like, no matter what you're doing, when the timer goes off, you go right back into DJ mode. So I'll give her credit for that. Whether whether Caroline Williams was ever a DJ in real life, she understands at least some of the particulars. Maybe she learned something on Texas Chainsaw, too. Who knows? Okay, so she's in the studio um, just talking about – she starts her, her – uh, she starts talking by saying, I think I'm going to die tonight. And then she starts just speaking very cryptically about some of the events that have happened to her. And suddenly she hears uh, Sienna's voice in her head. Like, we can still see Aaron in the engineering booth. We see Rob in the other room behind Caroline. Uh, Artie is there, too, the security guard. Like, everybody's there. Um, But we hear Sienna's voice start talking to Amy about real cryptic shit, you know, talking about her age and her getting replaced by a prettier, younger, fresher voice, blah, 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 Um, which, you know, of course, kind of makes Amy not physically freak out, but you can kind of see the look on her face that she knows there's something not right going on. As she continues to hear Sienna's voice in her head, suddenly Sienna pops up behind Rob in the other room on the opposite side of the glass. 
And she literally just attacks and kills Rob. She just takes a big chunk out of his neck and takes him down to the ground. She stands back up so that Amy can see that now Sienna's face is covered with blood and she's actually eating some flesh, whatever it is that she pulled off of Rob. Then she leaves the little room that Rob is in and she goes to where Artie is and basically does the exact same thing to Artie. Bites a big chunk out of his neck, um, basically kills him instantly. Um, and then uh, Amy gets up and starts walking around um, the studio. Uh, she finds Rob's body. She finds Artie's body. And then suddenly she finds Sienna standing in the room where Artie and Rob's bodies are just kind of on the floor. She starts talking again very cryptically about, you know, whatever random topics, you know, uh, make Amy uncomfortable or upset her. And, you know, she's just talking over and over. Finally, Amy looks down and sees that right next to Artie's body is the stake that he's been whittling uh, throughout the majority of the film. She basically grabs it and just stakes uh, Sienna right in the heart. Uh, then Sienna actually goes full vampire. We see her entire face change. You know, you get this smushed pig nose, you know, the uh, very Nosferatu-looking vampire face, fangs, everything. Um, and Sienna just basically keels over and dies. At this point, Aaron... Uh, is the only one left alive in the station, and he's in the engineering booth, and suddenly Amy appears in the booth, and Aaron is visibly scared of Amy. You can tell that suddenly he's talking way more complimentary about her, even talking about how you look hot now, I've, I've never seen you like this before, you look really hot, blah, blah, blah. Um... You know, Amy starts asking Aaron, have you ever genuinely cared about me or was this all just, you know, blowing smoke up my ass or whatever, you know, trying to make the older woman feel attractive? Obviously, Aaron tries to convince her that he's always found her attractive and that he's always had feelings for her. And then he even tries to sweet talk her a little bit more by saying, you know, we were never able to kind of act on our emotions, you know, because we work together. But now that you don't work here anymore, we can actually move forward with something. Um, you know, obviously Aaron's just fucking around because he's terrified uh, at this point. Lord knows what he's seen, if he actually saw the same thing that Amy saw, or if potentially Amy just um, imagined Sienna killing these people, but it was actually her doing it. That's my theory, but... Obviously, again, this is a movie that's up for interpretation, so. But as Aaron is trying to sweet talk her, Amy finally decides, fuck it, I don't care. And her face kind of contorts into a very, you know, evil, demonic-looking thing, and she attacks Aaron, killing him pretty much right away. At this point, Amy hears a telephone ringing somewhere in the radio station, uh, she leaves the engineering booth, starts walking around the station looking for the ringing phone. It actually ends up being the phone in the in the studio, in the radio studio, that she usually does her show in. She answers the phone, and it seems like she's talking to a younger version of herself. Uh, we hear a very young female voice on the phone. 
uh, asking Amy for advice, talking about how she just started at a new company, started working at a new place, and that she doesn't really feel comfortable there, that she has to deal with certain things that she'd rather not have to deal with or things that don't make her proud that she's done to get the job that she has. And as the conversation goes more and deeper, I re- that's when I start to realize, oh, shit, she's talking to herself. She's basically talking to a young version of herself. Because then the conversation ends with the girl on the phone basically saying, I've always wanted to be like you, you know, smart, sexy, confident, you know, you're like someone that I look up to. And the phone call basically just ends with, I hope to be just like you someday. And then Amy hangs up the phone without saying anything. Now, this is where the movie gets fucking crazy. At this point now, we see a sequence where all the events of the day go backwards, almost like somebody rewound the video, rewound the movie. Suddenly, we're back to the very beginning of the movie where uh, the security guard was at the desk whittling the wood. But suddenly, all the characters in the movie have swapped positions. And uh, here's basically what we're looking at. Aaron, the, uh, the audio engineer is now Artie the security guard to the point where Amy is even calling him Artie, but it looks like uh, Aaron. So now Aaron is the secu- is Artie the security guard. Sienna is now Rob, the program director, dressed like a man. She's got the radio station t-shirt on, and she's hitting on Artie, the security guard, who is now Sienna, dressed in girls' clothing and everything. Just literally just acting like Sienna. Um, Sienna, who is now Rob, the program director, is um, hitting on Artie, you know, grabbing his ass. She's she's being even more forward than the real Rob was with Sienna during that opening scene in Rob's office. Um Yeah, so like I said, Artie is now Sienna, and last but not least, Rob, the program director, is now Aaron, the engineer, which really fucking confused me the first time I watched this. I had no clue what the hell was going on. On second watch, I kind of realized now that, you know, Amy is just kind of rewinding the events in her head and hoping that they maybe go in a different path. Potentially, like I said, we're dealing with an unreliable narrator, so this movie is very up for interpretation. So, after Amy finishes her final show, um, and this time, in this timeline, everything goes off without a hitch. There's no drama, no argument, no nothing. Um, Amy finishes her shift, and then suddenly uh, she goes to a party that's being held in her honor, since it's her last night after 30 years at this radio station. Um, All the employees that are currently at the station have a little party. They've got some disco lights. They've got a DJ. By the way, did you notice who the DJ was or at least who I think it was? It was the fucking bat. I thought it was somebody dressed in. I thought it was somebody dressed in like a vampire garb. Right. That's what I mean. I think he was supposed to yeah. represent the bat. That, that's what I was wondering because I was like, who's because this vampire wasn't a DJ guy? <laughs> yeah, right. it, it makes sense, but I thought it was just I thought it was just like a general vampire. I mean, if you say he's the vampire bat, that would make more sense, but Right. That's the thing, we never get confirmation, yeah. you know, that it's right. a vampire yeah. bat fitter. But that was my that was my two cents because like I said, Caroline or Amy Marlowe 
she was attacked by something, but she doesn't know what. Artie is the one that put the idea in her head that it was a bat. And I feel like that's why the bat looks like a human in a vampire costume, because she's kind of unsure on whether what actually happened but like the whole first time i'm watching it i'm like who the fuck is that dj why is he there he doesn't represent any character that's already been in the movie and then like i said on my second watch i realized the bat is the only character that hasn't been reimagined during this particular dream sequence or hallucination or whatever you want to go with so that's what i'm going with i'm going to say it's the bat <laughs> i like that idea so fuck it all right so we're at the party. Everybody's, you know, having a good time. Um, let's see. Amy and uh, Aaron, who, like I said, is now represented by Rob. Uh, so the actor who played Rob is now Aaron. They start talking about life and, you know, stuff, you know, stuff that's happened over the last 30 years and what she's going to do moving forward, blah, blah, blah. But then suddenly um, Sienna, who is now Rob, calls everyone together to make a toast. And when she calls everyone together to make a toast, suddenly the cast of Carnival of Souls appears at the party. Basically, like a dozen to 20 people who all have black eye makeup around their eyes, just like the characters, the ghosts from Carnival of Souls, all show up at this party. Who these people are, no one knows. Are these people that Amy maybe already has killed? Um, you know, who knows? They, they, they obviously represent something, but it would probably take a smarter man than me to figure it out. So I'll leave it up to the, the Internet. You guys figure out who these people are. Um, so basically at this point, um, you know, Sienna has the, uh, the wacky toast. Uh, everyone starts giving her gifts. Um, Artie, the security guard, gives her a watch that he took the battery out of and stopped it at 10 minutes to midnight, which, of course, was the name of Amy's radio show. So it's kind of like a little gift for her to show her. It's always 10 to midnight wherever you are, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then somebody gives her um, a bottle of something. I forget what the hell it was. It was a, a what that do you, do you guys remember what fake um, Sienna gave her? It was a bottle of something. Oh, um, wasn't it like a bottle of wine from like the birth year? Like, wasn't it like a like a bottle yes. of wine from? You're right. The year it was a was bottle born. of wine that was bottled the year Amy was born. Yes, that's it exactly. It's a very small bottle. It doesn't look like a wine bottle, but yeah, I do remember him saying something about the year she was born. And then um, Aaron, the engineer, like I said, who's now being played by Rob, comes up from behind her and gives her the black choker with the cross on it and basically says all circles must come to an end and he puts the choker on her and then everybody you know starts applauding her and suddenly sienna pulls uh, a drape off of a coffin or a casket well no it's more of a coffin more like a vampire coffin than a traditional casket um and everybody starts cheering and uh suddenly Sienna starts leading everyone in a round of For She's a Jolly Good Fellow. Um, everybody's singing, you know, For She's a Jolly Good Fellow. Uh, before that, though, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that we do actually get a quick shot of young Amy, which kind of bothers me because 
why wouldn't they use young Amy during the flashbacks earlier, but then they use her here in the party while she's talking to Aaron? It's really weird because now Aaron is the older one and Amy is young. I'm not sure if that was just a, a dichotomy switch just to keep people on their toes or what, but there it is. Suddenly we see a younger Amy talking to Aaron about how, you know, life can end just like that. And they, you know, when, when he snaps her fing his fingers, she goes back from young Amy back to Caroline Williams, Amy. So at this point, like I said, everyone in the party is uh, singing for, she's a jolly good fellow. They put her inside of a coffin or the coffin. Like I said earlier, they put her inside of that. They close it. And then we basically, the scene basically just ends with everyone singing. She's a jolly good fellow as they're closing the coffin in on her. Uh, the very next scene, uh, we see a guy arriving at the radio station the next morning. Um, he's basically talking out loud. Hey, I see that there's still cars in the parking lot. So that party must have gone on all night, blah, blah, blah. He's walking around the radio station, but he can't find anybody. He's looking around. He can't find anybody. Finally, he decides to go to the bathroom for whatever reason. And as he's about to enter the, the men's bathroom, he hears something in the female bathroom. Um, you know, he thinks he calls out Amy, Sienna, thinking one or both of them are in there. He walks into the bathroom, turns the lights on, and there we have a fucking bloodbath basically all the bodies of everybody at the station is on the floor in pieces then suddenly the camera pans up and we see a bat hanging upside down in the bathroom is that the bat that bit amy or is that amy herself do these vampires maybe transform into bats completely who knows uh, once again that's left up to your interpretation the bat, we see the bat attack the guy who just walked into the bathroom, and the movie ends. And that is 10 Minutes to Midnight 2021. Interesting little film. So how are we going to break down the last 20 minutes of the movie? What exactly do you think is going on? Ah, oh, the party slash funeral? Man, that's a tough one. Like I said, I think this is all unreliable narrator. At this point, I think Amy has already killed everybody. Um, at the point that the quote unquote party starts, I think this is maybe just her trying to come to terms with what she did by maybe pretending that it never happened because everybody's still alive. Not only is everybody alive, they're playing a different character now. Uh, they're all at this party. So like I said, I don't know if this was a coping mechanism or if this was just flat out, um, you know, her just going insane oh and by the way rest in peace nicholas tucci who played Artie, the security guard this movie was dedicated to his memory yeah i, did, I didn't even know he had passed away until that happened i looked him up and yeah, yeah. it's pretty sad he was 38 and he i mean what a, and like i said he was the character in this movie that left me scratching my head the most just trying to figure out, is he being serious? Is he trying to be funny? Is he actually a vampire himself and he's just fucking with Amy? Like, there were so many possibilities of what Artie was, but by the time we get to the movie, he's really just another victim, and I guess he was just a quirky, funny little guy, for whatever it's worth. But, man, 
Yeah, it definitely took me a good half of the movie to figure out Artie, to really understand what the hell is going on with him. But yeah, because I've never met anybody like that in real life. Maybe you guys have, who knows, but he was ultra quirky. I use the word quirky in a uh, complimentary way because, you know, I don't want to say fucked up, <laughs> but he is an odd little character. That's for sure. Oh, man. I actually have a theory, you guys. Um um, so obviously I mentioned earlier, you know, maybe a few perspectives. Um, I believe that um, the movie's metaphorical, completely for menopause. Um, oh, an allegory for menopause. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, because um, obviously with menopause, you know, there's so many different um, changes that a woman goes through. And, you know, um, lingering for her youth is definitely one of them. Um you know, obviously, uh, thirst for blood, meaning, you know, once a woman is done, I know this is going to get gross and you guys are guys, but whatever, just bear with me, you're adults. No, no, hey, I'm married to a woman about that age, so I know exactly what you're going through. <laughs> or what you're talking about, excuse me. Well, I'm not going through it, I'm not No, no, yet. I know, you're way too <laughs> But, I mean, obviously, um, I believe that, um, you know, the, the vampire aspect has a couple of different elements, you know, like as... Um, you mentioned earlier um, that, you know, vampires live forever. Um, I also believe that, you know, obviously the thirst for blood um, is, you know, what vampires have. And obviously before you go through menopause, you know, women have their menstrual cycles, which, you know, is obviously blood. And I think that's what's kind of in correlation to, you know, when she's in there and she, she gets the tampon, you know, I think it's mm-hmm. reminiscent of like, you know, still wanting like her, you know, uh, youth with, you know, menstrual cycles as opposed to going through menopause. Womanhood, now, yeah. Yeah. And um, now, also, I believe, all right, now you guys might think it's a stretch, but I don't think so. Um, I believe that you, you kept calling them flashbacks. I'm going to um, say that they're hot flashes. Um, yeah. no, you know, we'll so, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's what the flashbacks you represented were like, you know, because when a woman is going through menopause, she's having these hot flashes. So I think mm-hmm. that's kind of an um, you know, you call her an unreliable narrator. And I mean, there's many different variations that you could, you know, take from this movie. This is just my interpretation of it. Um, but, but I believe that the flashbacks are, you know, because obviously, and um, she's going back to her younger days as well in these, you mm-hmm. know, uh, flashes. We'll just call them that. <laughs> and, yeah, sure. um, you know, obviously she has issues with um, aging in this. Um, she, um, does not like the younger girl. I mean, you think it's like a basic setup story of like the young girl or whatever, but obviously like she's on her way out. Um, um, you know, um, I'm saying is obviously, you know, um, she's thirsting for that, um, younger aspect. Um, and her first bite that she actually took was out of Sienna, the younger girl. So she's hungry for young blood, obviously. And then, God, what else was it? Um, and with the vampires living forever, obviously, you know, as she's going through it, she's living, reliving her glory days. And, you know, uh, the metaphor of the vampire is she's going to live in infamy um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, now, also through it, she was except uh, we talked about uh, the five stages of um, grief. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, um, when you go through menopause, I think I mean, I know that I was like, I hate aging. So um, I think it's relatable that, you know, when you kind of get to that point, you kind of feel like your prime has died. It's almost like a death. Um, Absolutely. No, I, I can see that. Yeah. 
And, you know, she also says, like, when she's at the radio, like, her last um, broadcast or whatever, and she uh, she says, I think I'm going to die tonight. Um, I believe that's, you know, like, it's symbolic to, like, it's her last show and she knows that. And um, she, so, like, as it's, like, acceptance of moving on from what she's doing there. So I believe that, um, you know, everything is encompassed into it's a metaphor for that. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's, that's a great interpretation. Absolutely. With that interpretation though, does that mean that you don't think any of the events of the movie actually occurred? Like no one actually died. No one was attacked, blah, blah, blah. Or is this just her trying to justify the events? Um, I believe, no, I don't, I don't think it um, actually happened. I think this was like a kind of like a dramatic interpretation of, you know, going through the process. I gotcha. gotcha. Um, Okay. You know, and with the switch of the characters, I feel that, um, you know, she's seen um, it because if you look at the type of characters that were switched or whatever, obviously Sienna plays uh, Rob. And Mm -hmm. so she's picturing, you know, him, uh, like younger or whatever, um, you know, and then Sienna is played by, um, like, I believe it's like changes in our, um, our system as well, um, you know, in the world, like everything mm-hmm. that's happening as a whole. So I think that, you know, it's like confusing times. And I think that's just really what that is. Yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of role, role reversal in the workplace too, yeah, because yeah. you have the young girl kind of in charge of everything now. Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking, that be, be, that basically because the girl is so young and pretty that she can get robbed to do anything that she wants it, her to. So it almost felt like she put Sienna in that role because Sienna's the one with the power now. You know, for years, uh, it's always been the argument of who has the power in a relationship, the man or the woman, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's a there's a great train of thought that says, you know, hey, the, the woman, she's the one who controls, you know, giving life. She's the life giver. And, you know, guys always make the joke about being, quote unquote, pussy whipped in that in that type of relationship. Again, mm-hmm. the girl has the power. So that's that's kind of what I was thinking, that she well, kind of sees a transfer of power from Rob to Sienna. Blah, blah, blah. See, I pictured it so, like, um, as you mentioned before, like, uh, she never changes. Uh, Caroline Williams' character never changes, but mm-hmm. other people do. So I think it's also, like, she is st- she's stuck in the past um, with the world that, you know, and, you know, she's just doing the same thing. She's, like, kind of stagnant or whatever in the sense of what she's doing. Um, I mean, she's great at it, but that's, like, all she's doing. And she didn't really grow with the times. And that's why you see the turn of, you know, the different characters changing with the times. So mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. almost. Okay. Yeah, almost as she's, like, seen as the new era, how there's uh, a, a bold new world out there for her. Or not for her, but that's happening around her. And she's kind of been standing. So would you find the end, the party celebration slash funeral slash whatever was going on there as almost like the last stage where it's like the acceptance. Yes. Cause that's kind of how it was actually... presented. It didn't even feel like a retirement party. It felt, it felt more like this is the final stage where you get to accept everything. And that's why we're here to support that. And then because she's kind of resistant at first, but then it's just like, well, you know, this is life. There's nothing. You, you can't stop it. You know? 
Yeah, I mean, she, I mean, they didn't hoist her up into the coffin. She got into it herself. So mm-hmm. it was absolutely acceptance. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. That. Well, I think Lacey might have cracked a case, which is good because, I mean, I'm that. That's why I'm glad we have guests. All right, guests <laughs> on this one because <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, obviously watching it even a second time, you know, I had ideas swimming around there, but I think you know whether Lacey's a hundred percent or not, it makes sense. Everything she said matches with the trajectory of the movie. I mean, of course we could nitpick bits and pieces here and be like, well, what about this? But overall, I think, I mean, I think we've all pretty much hit on some of what was going on, but Lacey's explanation is actually pretty good. I think. Why? Thank you. (laughs) Well, I mean, and that's good. It's actually good that we had a, a, like a woman's perspective on it too. Because this is really centered around a female lead character, and you could say um, two female leads kind of in, you know, uh, role reversals going on. So it doesn't hurt to have a Lacey Lou on here for this episode. I definitely saw the correlation with menopause. I probably wouldn't have brought it up myself because I have a penis and (laughs) don't want to actually act like I know anything about menopause because we don't. But yeah, thank you, Lacey, very much for, you know, kind of laying it down for us because I saw the correlation, but I wasn't because I have, you know, because I'm a man, I have no experience with menstruation or menopause or anything. I wasn't probably. I probably wouldn't have brought it to the table. So, were yeah. you hesitant? To, were you hesitant to mansplain menopause? Oh, <laughs> say, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to ever be accused of mansplaining anything. Well, and I didn't. As a female, I didn't want to pull the card of like I'm a female. So, like, I tried to say that at the beginning of the episode. You know, like I don't want to pull that card. Like, I just want to explain it in the way that I interpreted it. Yeah, but that. I mean, but that's the kind of. I mean, really, the whole point of. <laughs> not even just this episode specifically, but the show on in in general, why we like to get guests on here for different stuff. And some, you know, sometimes randomly the specific guests we have, they end up bringing those perspectives that either we didn't think of, didn't bring up, didn't feel strongly enough to bring up, whatever it happens to be. But that's, it's good. I, that's why I like having different folks on here. And what do you uh, think, not John? to mention the movie's <laughs> only been out for such a short time that there's not a, a, an abundance of like reviews and explanations out there to even read to, you know, to get different pers- perspectives out there. So like yeah. ending explained. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those where you like anytime now when you Google a movie before you're even done typing in the name of the movie, it's like ending explained. <laughs> like, no, that's not even what I was trying to find. <laughs> pretentious fuck thinking he can explain endings to us because i've i've watched that guy or the main guy who does ending explained videos i've disagreed with him multiple times i mean all that video series is is his interpretation of the ending it's not like he interviewed the director or the writer or anything like that he's trying to basically put an idea in people's heads that it you know blah 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 what could be happening but yeah i've disagreed with him multiple times not to say that he's wrong and i'm right or vice versa it's just different interpretations that's all yeah most of the time when i um do go to those like it's to see if it matches up with my way of thinking 
Uh, sure. A lot of people haven't seen it yet, and most of the time I'm like, well, fuck, I don't see it that way at all. <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, that's valid. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What did you think, Don? I think you guys kind of explained a lot of where I was coming from. I mean, I, I, it makes a little bit more sense now when you say that the, the acceptance ordeal of the, of growing older and becoming part of, you know, going through administration, it kind of explains, you know, like what Venom was saying with the characters appearing, you know, the carnival of souls people, because isn't that what they were in that film itself? The carriers into the underworld to accept your new fate sort of a thing. It's, it's sort of been a while, but I think that was sort of their intention, wasn't it? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Like they were the, she thought, the main character thought they she, they were haunting her. They were trying to call to her, right, to let her know, hey, you don't belong here. Come with us. Right. Yeah. yeah I think you're spot on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that that makes more sense now. If that if those characters are to, you know, inter, be a new interpretation on that, sort of like as an homage, sort of the thing, you know, like shepherding you into your new into your new phase of life. I mean, yeah. that could be more, that could be, a, you know, a, a way of looking at it. So I, I, I can see where you're coming from as a sort of, I mean, it, it understands, it, 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 I understand it where you're saying coming from in that, you know, the idea of lashing out at the youth, you know, like the vampire sucking the life from the youth to feed yourself again, but then coming to terms with it, I, I, you know, and, you know, accepting that you're growing old. I, I can see where you're coming from. Well, that and the fact that, you know, everybody has changed around her except for her mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, you know, exactly. Stuck. Yeah, exactly. Because at the beginning when she's like, you know, outraged over the situation, but it's really more kind of like the cycle repeating just with the next generation. Then, and she's she's angry about it. But at the same time, it's like, well, you weren't angry about it when like you were you know, you were the young one and going through. So if it does kind of feel like there's some self realization and being content with the fact that like, okay, it's just time for the next stage in life that, you know, I'm turning the page on this yeah. chapter. And at the end, that's kind of her accepting everything. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that bothered me just a little bit, and it, it doesn't detract from the movie at all. It's it's more of one of those real world things that I tend to interject in fictional films. But I've been a DJ. For someone to have the same job at the same radio station for 30 years is fucking epic. That does not happen in the radio world, okay? Those guys and ladies, you know, five to ten years if they're lucky. You know, not everybody can be Howard Stern, unfortunately. Um, But it just it bothered me that she wasn't a little bit more thankful to actually have gotten those 30 years. It's like, yeah, you're being pushed out now because, you know, for whatever, you know, a younger girl, fresher voice, whatever you want to go with. But, man, she should have really taken a few seconds to think, well, shit, I got to work here for 30 years. She obviously must have loved it because she never left. You know, it's not like she was stuck at that job. It was a job that she fought for, that she wanted to keep. Obviously, she was very passionate about losing the job after 30 years. But yeah, that was the only thing that kind of bugged me a little bit about her character, that she wasn't more appreciative of actually getting those 30 years. Because let me tell you, in the real world, that's unheard of, you know? Um, 
You don't hear about DJs at the same station for 20, 25, 30 years. Yes, it happens, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying it's such a rare thing that I feel like she should have been at least a little bit more appreciative. But obviously, once you see the flashback of how she actually got the job, she'll always have that stigma of, you know, I got the job because I slept with the program director, blah, blah, blah. So that's got to wear heavy on someone's head over the years. And probably assuming that Sienna got the job the exact same way, obviously infuriates her, even though she doesn't think about the fact that she took somebody's job away 30 years ago. You know, at no point in this movie does she even make that realization, um, which I feel maybe is something that Rob should have brought up. Like, you know, as she was getting upset about losing her job, Rob should have brought it up. Hey, what about the woman that you replaced 30 years ago? Do you feel bad for her? Do you think about her on a daily basis? Blah, blah, blah. So I feel like that's something that a good program director would have brought up to kind of quell her anger about losing the job or whatever. But, you know, again, I'm trying to interject real-world logic into a fictional movie. So. Well, with Sienna, she was unappreciative to be given the job because she's yep. like, I'm only going to be here for a couple years. And, like, obviously, like, this was, you know, Marlo's livelihood. Exactly, yeah. And... Mar- um, Amy, you know, Amy seeing her profession turned into a stepping stone probably infuriated her even more. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, if that's wrapping it up on our thoughts on 10 Minutes to Midnight, then um, that's going to also wrap up this episode. But before we totally wrap it up, let's go around and figure out where everyone else can be heard. Well, I think we figured that out by now. More just let's hear where we can hear everyone. So Venom. Do you have anything new uh, since our last recording for people to listen to? I mean, the only thing, you know, uh, there's no new No More Room in Hell. There isn't a new underwater kaiju. Um, there is a new episode of It's Not Horror Okay, uh, the movie commentary podcast I do with members of NFW and the Friday Nightmares uh, podcast. This past episode, we did Orgasmo, which uh, anybody uh, who doesn't know fun, Orgasmo, it's... It's Matt Trey or Matt Stone and Trey Parker's second film uh, comedy about the porn industry, about a Mormon, a very devout Mormon, accidentally getting involved in the porn industry in L.A. So <laughs> it's I fucking love that movie. It's it's literally <laughs> one of my favorite comedies of all time. I know a lot of people hate it. It's toilet humor. It's you know it's just sexual humor. Blah blah blah. Degrading to women. I understand all of the complaints, but. Uh, it's an absolute guilty pleasure for me. Totally loved it. Had a blast doing a commentary for it. It was actually a first-time watch for multiple members of the show, so that was wow. kind of fun. So, yeah, check that out on the Dark Discussions Podcast Network. That just dropped today, I believe, or yesterday. So that's available now. And then the only other thing I have is In the Mic of Madness. Uh, we recorded a uh, episode about us. Uh, what's his name? Steve... Kostansky? Kostansky? Uh, basically, uh, the director of The Void, who, of course, has a new movie out that just dropped last week called Psycho Gorman. Uh, so we actually are doing feature reviews on both of those films. Uh, that'll be out probably sometime next week. Uh, and that's on the Prescribed Films podcast network. So check that out. Really, really good time. 
uh, talking about my favorite movie of 2017, The Void. Anybody who remembers our old top 10 lists remembers how much I absolutely adore that film, still do to this day. And then, of course, we also tackled the new film Psycho Goreman literal days after it dropped. So, yeah, check that episode out. Pretty fun. And that's it from me, Mike. Okay, Don, do you have anything to add? Uh, well, the only thing that I really have is uh, I'm going to be appearing on an old favorite podcast of mine. Um, I'm going to be doing a, a guest spot on Attack of the Killer podcast. Nice. And I'm gonna, yeah, uh, I'm gonna be doing a look at World War II horrors. So cool. uh, we're gonna be covering uh, Ghost of War, Overlord, and Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, good. I thought you were gonna say that Shadow in the Cloud movie. Oh. No, uh, <laughs> we were. Movie. Yeah, we were. We wanted to cover good stuff. Oh, thank God. Okay. <laughs> That just to let you know, folks, that movie was a candidate for our first show of 2021, and I am incredibly happy that we skipped it <laughs> after watching it. I don't know, Mike. Did you ever get a chance to see it? I didn't because Good, don't. I I remember before you told me you had watched it, I was like, well, it's out there. Should I even bring it up to like possibly do? And then before I even had a chance, you're like. I watched it, and no, it's not good. I was like, all right, let's see what else is out there. Though. I mean, I would have done the show. I mean, hey, I I still enjoy talking about stuff I don't like, too. That's half the fun of podcasting. So I still would have done it. But uh, anybody who remembers our Greta episode, it would have just been a lot more <laughs> that. I, I'm, I'm slowly learning that I can't stand the Chloe Grace Moretz. So sorry, oh. folks. And so sorry, Chloe, but I don't like you. Oh. <laughs> Um, all right, Don, did you say that was it from you? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, like I said, um, the only other thing for me is, uh, probably going to be starting the, uh, Women in Horror Month series pretty soon, but, um, it's still not started yet, so, yeah. The only thing I have is the, uh, upcoming, uh, guest spot on Attack of the Killer podcast. All right, cool. Lacey, we know what podcast you're from, but for any new listeners of ours, uh, let them know. And if you have anything recent, let them know what you've been covering. Oh, man. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, cut to the chase. We just recorded our top 10 best of 2020. Um, so that will be out. And then we'll be covering um, some Hitchcock films. Um, so Excellent. that's our next venture. Um, They're here podcast. Um, episode we recorded um, we did it a little bit different um, we did our top 10 uh, favorite films that we not from 2020 it could have been from any year um, first but they had to be first time watches that we watched last year um, so that will be coming out um, and then I have a new venture well I have two new ventures actually uh, one is uh, skip cut to the chase presents skip to the loo interviews and reviews uh, which is a solo cast, um, unless I have an interviewed guest. And the first episode for that will be with, um, inter I interviewed James Duvall from um, Donnie Darko. Um, in nice. East Mode. Uh, yeah, it was, Donnie Darko is one of my uh, favorite movies. It's like interchangeable with Scream. So um, that was like a big deal for me. So I'm really excited for everybody to hear that because we went pretty depth in depth on Donnie Darko. Um, even though we're supposed to be talking about beast mode, but yeah. Um, and then um, I have, uh, oh, I'm doing a 
I'm cover I'm helping cover the final Berlin um, or Berlin Girls Film Festival. Um, I'm doing a short block for that for pop horror, and then I oh. I have put together a um, all girl female podcast called the Slumber Party Massacre with um, me, Heather Powell, uh, Carly, and Rebecca. And uh, that's going to be a three-act podcast, um, and I'm really excited about that, and that will be being released in, um, next month for Women in Horror Month, the first episode. Nice. Yeah. Do you know the that one? Is it planned? Is there, like, a schedule for, like, a monthly, weekly, bi-weekly, or is it just kind of when you guys get to are able to get together? Or not sure. Uh, I think we're going to start monthly. Um, just because we all have so many other things mm-hmm. going on, but we would like to at least have like one episode because it is going to, we're covering a, kind of a bunch of stuff in one episode. So you kind of get the full punch, you know, that should feed you to the next month at least. Um, but you know, who knows, maybe if it takes off, we'll do more. But, um, as of right now, it's, um, monthly. Cool. All right. Um, as far as I go, nothing that's already out, but I do have a scheduled guest appearance on Cinema Beef coming up this week, and then No More Room in Hell on Sunday. And um, there's kind of rumors that another former podcast that me and Venom did together with a couple other people could be returning <laughs> next month. The podcast that never truly goes all the way away, <laughs> despite man, despite hiatuses at a few different points in that podcast life, it never quite goes a hundred percent away because we never officially say we're done doing it. It just life things happen and then it just kind of gets put on the background. So we'll see about that. But because it's only monthly and it's been so long, I don't even want to like get <laughs> get into announcing anything official until we actually record it. So the t- if people know our shows, then they'll probably be like, okay, what shows do Mike and Venom do together? And they'll have a good guess. So, Oh, I already know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, don't. some people know, just depending on... It's Theme Warriors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don, well, what I a sleuth know. you are. <laughs> Come on, I've been promoting how many shows in this community you think I wouldn't have figured this out. Yeah, well, like I said, for a... A lot of people in our circle, so not that much yeah. of a surprise. But anyways, um, Venom... No, that's going what... to oh, be cool. Um, I'm actually really looking forward to that one. Um, I, I also like the trend of all of my podcasts that have been on hiatus coming back slowly. Underwater Kaiju came back a couple months ago. Now this one. Uh, let's see. i got to work on Slice and Dice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, is there any... I don't even want to say big, but any semi-notable releases coming out this week to do? Uh, wrong shots? turn. Yeah, wrong turn in theaters though. Is it only theaters, or is it's? Yeah, I don't think. Um, from what I've seen on Damien's posting on his Facebook page, I haven't seen any like confirmed VOD dates. I've only heard like they're doing like select Fathom events live. Mm-hmm. That seems yeah. To be, like, that seems to be what he's. I think tonight was one of them, wasn't it? Tonight or tomorrow? Tonight and Saturday, for where I live anyways. Yeah, I know I got the Fathom event email because I signed up for, you know, their events that you always get an email, even if it's like Mm -hmm. nothing you'd be interested in. But 
Um, I didn't put my zip code in to see because my area is still kind of iffy. Like, I know the theaters that I usually would go to that are, like, right by my house aren't open yet. But I think, like, if I, you know, if I drive 25, 25 minutes out of, like, the metropolitan area, I think there might be one or two that are open. But it's also whether it would even be playing at those ones anyway. But, um, okay, well, I mean, there'll be stuff. I know. I know there will be to cover, mm-hmm. so. But anyways, Lacey, awesome that you came back. I mean, we don't have to let it be a year till you come back again, though, so. <laughs> no, I did good boy with you guys. Yeah, I know. You were back before um, January. And you so. guys were obviously on, um, you know, our show. And, you know, Don's coming up on being a guest on that as well, so. We all interchange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all just one big incestuous family. <laughs> Woo! Kinda, when you put it that way. Oh, oh, I am doing a guest spot on 22 Shots as well, uh, covering all the paranormal activity movies. That's right. That's a lot. That's a lot to tell of prep. Like, just the franchise alone. Without anything else, it's just a lot of prep. Yep. <laughs> a treat cool to get through in that franchise. A lot of what? Uh, let's go with Chum. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't hear. <laughs> He's like, yeah. probably for the best. You'll have to listen back to the episode if you actually want to hear what I fucking said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And with that, that's going to wrap this episode up. So we are out of here. We will see everyone in a week's time. Listeners, thank you for listening. Everyone, Say goodbye. Later. Adios. Later. Peace. A summer evening on the Champs-Élysées. A secret rendezvous they planned for days. I see faces in a crowded cafe. The sound of laughter as the music plays.